All right, well, let's go to chapter 11 of uh, Zechariah. And uh, uh, if you remember when we left off, it's kind of hard getting back into this because we've been, we've been off for three weeks, but uh, two weeks, but really three weeks since the last time we were in here. But if you remember, I told you in the last session that the last few chapters of Zechariah are filled with these series. It's actually a series of prophecies. Uh, about the first coming and the second coming of Jesus Christ. And uh, they're absolutely amazing. And we're, the one we, we're going to see tonight is, 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 is one of those. And uh, to have written this 500 years before Jesus was even born, and you get such specific detail in these prophecies, even more so than you do in Revelation, uh, uh, is just it's just amazing to me as I go through this, and hopefully you'll see that tonight as we, as we dig into Zechariah chapter 11. But let's, let's pick up, and you're going to see right away in chapter 11, it looks like judgment is coming. We've got to figure out what judgment that is. So in chapter 11, verse number 1, he says, Open your doors, O Lebanon, the fire that fire may devour your cedars. Well, O Cyprus, for the cedar has fallen. Because the mighty trees are ruined. Well, O oaks of Bashan, for the thick forest has come down. Now, whenever an army invaded Israel, when you read about their history, and we've studied a lot of their history as we've gone through the Minor Prophets and as we've gone through the Old Testament, uh, whenever an army invaded Israel, they came, except for the Pharaohs. When the Pharaohs invaded, they came from the south. But when any other army came through Israel, they came down through Lebanon. Uh, and actually, if you were to go to Lebanon today and you were to go to, to Beirut, I wouldn't recommend that. We certainly didn't have that on our agenda on our trip. That's a dangerous, dangerous place now. But years ago, you could go there. And those who have gone there will tell you about how if you just north of Beirut, there's a river they call the Dog River. And at the Dog River, there's a mountain face. And on that mountain face, every general that has come through Lebanon has carved his initials on that mountain. So you can actually see the initials of Alexander the Great and some of these great generals that have come down through Lebanon. And so uh, that's where they came. And so uh, what Zechariah is saying here, there's, there's some more generals coming your way. And I think this prophecy has dual fulfillment. It's going to be a prophecy about the Roman uh, invasion of Israel. We're looking now at about 500 B.C. Uh, Israel has returned to the land, and God is warning them that there's another judgment coming. It probably is not, he's, he's not telling them when it's coming, and it's probably not going to happen in their lifetime. We know, uh, looking back, that it didn't happen in their lifetime. But in 70 A.D., Titus came down through Lebanon into Israel, and he destroyed, uh, he destroyed Jerusalem and destroyed, virtually destroyed Lebanon and Israel in the process. And uh, you can actually go to Rome today, and there's the Arch of Titus is there, which is pictures, depicts this, this, uh, this battle against the Jews and this victory that Titus had uh, over the Jews. And so... Uh, that's what that's one fulfillment the second fulfillment will come it hasn't come yet that's going to come when the antichrist comes down through lebanon 
and into Israel and invades Israel and he comes to the Temple Mount and he declares himself to be God and, and then everything breaks loose and the really bad part of the tribulation takes place at that point. All right, so uh, we're looking here uh, at a possible two fulfillments. And he, so he says, open your doors, O Lebanon, that fire may devour your cedars. Uh, well, O Cyprus, for the cedars, the cedar has fallen. Now, you've heard of the cedars of Lebanon. Those are the cedars that uh, Solomon used to, to build the temple that David used to build his palace. You actually can see some ruins of those cedars in Jerusalem now in the city of David. And so uh, those are pretty important. Those oaks of Bashan that he speaks of uh, also here in verse number, he says, because the mighty trees are ruined, he says, well, oaks of Bashan. Bashan was over in the east side of the Jordan and and uh, they're going to be, as these great armies come down and attack, they're going to be destroyed too, for the thick forest has come down. All right, then uh, he says in verse number three, he's going to begin to tell us why these armies are going to invade. And the reason they're going to invade is the same reason they always, throughout Israel's history, had invaded them. And the reason was because they refused to listen to God. They refused to hear the word of God. They, they had always had their prophets, but for the most of their history, their prophets were false prophets. Their princes were false princes. They weren't men of God. Their leaders weren't men of God. In fact, you read the history of Israel. They didn't have one single king who was like David, a man after God's own heart. All their kings were evil. In the southern kingdom, it wasn't quite as bad, although they had some pretty evil kings too. But, but they, all, they heaped up for themselves, just kind of like we're doing in America today, they heaped up for themselves these false prophets uh, who tickled their ears. And, and so uh, uh, that's the reason. They wouldn't, if they didn't listen to the prophets, then that meant they wouldn't listen to God because God spoke through his prophets. And so they weren't listening to God. Instead, they were listening to the things they wanted to hear and so God is going to judge them for that. And he's telling this nation here uh, in 500 B.C., you're going to be judged again. The judgment's not over. As bad as it was with, with Nebuchadnezzar, as bad as it was with, uh, with uh, Teglath-Pileser, when he came down there and against the northern kingdom, it's going to be even worse. You've got more judgments coming. Uh, you're going to have the judgment of the Romans after the Jewish rebellion, after the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, and then you're going to have the judgment of Babylon, okay? And so you're going to be punished. And he's going to tell them why now, beginning in verse number three. He says, there is the sound of the wailing shepherds, for their glory is in ruins. The leaders, the priests, and the princes of Israel, they're wailing. And why are they wailing? Not because the people are being destroyed, but because their glory is in ruins. In other words, they made their living by milking the people. Uh, that's the history of the priesthood in Israel, and that's the history of the government in Israel. Sounds kind of familiar, kind of like the United States today. It says there is a sound of the roaring lions. I mean, these generals that uh, Titus, when he came down, he was like a roaring lion, seeking who he may devour. The same thing was true, is going to be true of the Antichrist when he comes down. He's not coming down to help. He's coming down to, like a lion to destroy. He says, for the pride of Jordan is in ruins. Uh, I, I can picture that, what he's speaking of there, just from our trip. Because when, when you come down from, from the Galilee 
and you ride into the Jordan Valley, you ride right along the Jordan River. And on one side you have Israel, on the other side you have the nation Jordan. Well, Jordan has these mountains that are all along the Jordan River, and then you have the plains on the Israel side, and all of that is so green and it's so beautiful. And then all of these mountains on the Jordan side are, are pretty barren, and so you can see why he calls Israel the pride of Jordan, but the pride of Jordan one day is going to be in ruins. And then he says, thus says the Lord my God, feed the flock for slaughter. In other words, what these false shepherds were doing, they weren't making these, the people fat in the things of God. They were fattening them up for slaughter because they were feeding them evil things and, and, and ratifying their evil ways and, and they, all that they were doing was preparing them for the slaughter that was to come. Then he says in verse number five, whose owners slaughter them and feel no guilt. Now, the owners would be the princes of Israel, the priests of Israel, these leaders in Israel, uh, these shepherds of Israel, whose owners slaughter them and feel no guilt. They slaughter the people. Those who sell and say, blessed be the Lord, for I am rich, and their shepherds do not pity them. So these false shepherds really didn't care about the people. All they cared about was the money they could make off of the people and so they were nothing more than hirelings they really weren't serving the people they were serving themselves and so they were in doing so they were taking part not in the edification of the people of Israel but in the destruction of the people of Israel and they actually deceived themselves into thinking that because they were being blessed financially that they were being blessed by God. I mean, you go back to the time of Jesus, and that describes the state of the priesthood and the state of the government in that time because, because Herod and the Herodians, they all thought that they were God's people because God had blessed them with all this power and all of these riches, and so Herod was building the temple, and he thought he was a man of God. And then you take all of the priests to the same priests who crucified Jesus Christ, they, who led the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, they all thought they were men of God because God had given them all of the, in their mind, God had given them all this power and he'd given them all these riches. And so uh, they attributed their material wealth and their positions to the blessings of God. And so they were, they were full of themselves. But they were so far away from God that when God walked into the temple in the form of Jesus Christ, they didn't even recognize him. On the contrary, they hated him, and they wanted to crucify him. They wanted him dead because he threatened their power, and he threatened their wealth. And so, uh, uh, therefore, you know, Zechariah is pronouncing judgment on these leaders, and he's pronouncing judgment on the people who follow these leaders. And so, uh, he goes on in verse number 6. He says, for I will no longer pity the inhabitants of the land, says the Lord. But indeed, I will give everyone into his neighbor's hand and to the hand of his king. They shall attack the land, these princes, these, these generals. They're going to attack the land, the Antichrist and the Titus, the Roman general. They're going to attack the land. And at that point, I will not deliver the Israelites from their hands. And in other words, when Titus attacked Israel, God removed his hand of protection. 
when the Antichrist attacks Israel, God is going to remove his hand of protection. So, he says in verse number 7, so I fed the flock. I fed them. I wanted to give them good things. I wanted them to have the good things of God. And I fed them those things, but I only fed them. It was a waste of time feeding them because I only fed them for slaughter because they didn't receive those good things that I wanted to give them. And in particular, the poor of the flock. You know, it's amazing how these people, these false prophets, and it's amazing how these false princes, these antichrist politicians feed on the poor. I mean, they absolutely feed on the poor. And the Lord says, I, when I was leading these people, I had two staffs. And this is, I led them, he's speaking of himself now as a shepherd. He said, I, had two, I took for myself two staffs. One I called beauty, and the other, other I called bonds. And I led or fed the flock. Well, we know that a shepherd, we know from Psalms 23, and Brandon's been teaching on Psalms 23. I think he's finished now, finally, but he's, he's done. But, but uh, you, you know from that, that that the shepherd carries a rod and a staff. Your rod and your staff comfort me, we're told in Psalms number 23. What was the staff for? Well, the sta staff is that typical pole that the shepherd has with a crook on the end, and that was to pull the sheep and keep the sheep in the flock and keep them out of trouble to protect the sheep. But then the rod was used when the sheep would get way out of line and he'd take the rod and, and he'd use it against the, the enemies of the sheep, the wolves, but he'd also use it against the sheep when they'd get way out of line to get them back and bond them with the flock. And that's why it says here, one of the steps I call beauty and the other I call bonds. And I led the flock or fed the flock using those two uh, two sticks, I guess you could say. And, and so uh, the Lord brings us, now as we come to verse number 8, he brings us to the point in history that's described by this prophecy, and listen to what he says. And, I, and, and this is, you know, they talk about chapter 9 being difficult to interpret, one of the most difficult chapters in the Bible to interpret. Well, chapter 11's got some parts in it that I just don't think it's, there's any way you can interpret it. And you're just guessing if you try to, but we'll guess a little bit. He says in verse number 8, he says, I dismissed the three shepherds in one month. My soul loathed them, and their soul also abhorred me. Now, we're kind of bridging a gap here in this prophecy where I think what Zechariah's doing or the Lord's doing through Zechariah, he's actually bringing us to the point where Jesus was crucified. And, and, that, and, and so I think the three shepherds represent three of the leaders, and I don't know if we can name those. It might be Annas and Caiaphas and Herod. It might be three other leaders. But they participated in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And, and so the Lord says, I dismissed the three shepherds in one month, and my soul loathed them, and their soul loathed me, abhorred me. In other words, they hated me, and so I hated them. You hate God, he's going to hate you. Now, God doesn't hate anybody, does he? Well, that's not what the Bible says. Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated. Uh, in fact, the Lord rebukes his children for loving those who hate me. 
but then he tells us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. So there's this paradox going on there. I think we're to love everybody, but we're also to hate the fact that other people hate the Lord. I see people who loathe the Lord in high positions, and, and I, you know, I, I, in some way I hate them, but on the other side, I think the Lord wants us to pray for them and care for them and, and, and hope that they get saved. But so, we, again, we don't know exactly which three shepherds here were dismissed, but, but just taking a guess, he might be talking about, because we are coming into this area about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, and you're going to see it in just a minute that, that maybe he's speaking of them. He might have been speaking of the leaders during Zechariah's time. I don't think so, because the leaders were Zerubbabel and Joshua, and they were on pretty good terms with the Lord. So I, don't, I think this is moving forward into that time. It might be moving forward into three leaders or three shepherds of Israel who are leading Israel when the Antichrist comes on the scene. We just can't be sure. So you don't hear me say that often, but we can't, we can't be sure there. Verse number nine, then I said to Israel, I will not feed you. I led you, and he said, basically he's saying, I will not lead you. When he says, I'm not going to feed you, he's saying, I'm not going to lead you. He said, I will not lead you because let what is dying die. In other words, I'm going to leave you alone. And what is perishing, perish. Let those that are left eat each other's flesh. Now, when these prophecies, Oh, when the one, let's go back to the one prophecy, one fulfillment of this prophecy when Titus came down to Jerusalem and sieged the city of Jerusalem. You, if you want to, you I don't want to say a good read, but a very interesting read, that's actually a very fascinating read. Read Josephus' works and that section on the siege of Jerusalem where over a million people were killed or died during that siege. And in that siege, he describes mothers boiling their own babies in order to feed the rest of their family. That's how bad things got, and it's only going to get worse when the Antichrist comes. And God pulls back, and he allows this evil to uh, encompass these evil people because they loathe the Lord. He loathes them. And, and, you know, there's a paradox going on there, too. It's kind of like when we were in the book of Hosea. Remember how the Lord would say, I'm done with you, I'm giving you up. And then he would, in the next verse, he'd say, oh, how can I give you up, O Israel? And I, the Lord loathes these people, but I think it broke his heart to have to do what he had to do in order to punish these people. And so, anyway, in verse number 10, he says, and I took my staff, beauty. My staff, the, the one with the crook on the end that I used to protect the people, and I cut it into two. And then look what he says. This is really interesting. He said that I might break the covenant which I had made with all the peoples. Now that's interesting there. And because we've always been taught, and I've always taught, that the covenant that has been made with Israel is an everlasting covenant. It is a covenant of grace. So how, what does he mean here when he says, I will break that covenant which I made with all the people? Well, if he allowed Israel to be attacked by Titus, or if he allows the Antichrist to come in and, 
and invade and attack Israel, and then they're totally destroyed, then he would have broken that covenant forever, and Israel would, and it would make God a liar. It would make the word a lie because it says that covenant is an everlasting covenant. I mean, there's several places you can see it as an everlasting covenant. Here's where the problem comes in, or where the misunderstanding comes in. God made two covenants with Israel. Actually, he made more than two covenants, but two, two covenants, main covenants that he made with them. One was the Abrahamic covenant, which says that they're given that land, and I'm going to bless this nation, and I'm going to bless them forever. He, he's not talking about that covenant here. He's talking about the second covenant that he made with them, and that's the Deuteronomic covenant. And that covenant was, you remember, we actually saw those mountains this past week, but, but that covenant's where he, where he stood on one mountain and he, they cried out curse, blessings if you do these things, and on the other mountain, curses if you don't do these things. And so that's the Deuteronomic. Now, I guess I might have mispronounced it. Deuteronomic covenant, not the Abrahamic covenant. So the land still belongs to Israel forever, and God's going to bless them forever. They are the apple of his eyes. They're still the apple of his eye. They will always be the apple of his eye. But they broke the Deuteronomic covenant. They didn't obey the Lord, and they actually turned from the Lord, and so they lost their protection and they lost their blessing, but only for a period of time. Now, I, I remember after I got saved, I mean, everything to me was about grace. I mean, I was saved by grace. When I was saved, I believe in eternal security as much as anybody in the world. I know I have eternal security. If I didn't have eternal security, you won't see me in heaven because I can't make it on my own. I need the Lord to get me there. And he who began a good work in me is going to complete it to the end. So I know I believe in eternal security. I believe when I was saved, I was saved forever. I believe God sealed me with his Holy Spirit, and he doesn't unseal you with his Holy Spirit. He's, he, he's given me his spirit, and I'm going to make it home one day. And I believe in that covenant. I believe it's all great. And at one time in my walk, actually early and maybe in my teaching, you might have seen this, I actually believe that everything, I mean, it all, I mean, I, I, I like that book by Spurgeon, All of Grace. And it is all of grace. I mean, we need the Holy Spirit to do the right thing. But we can't eliminate our choice. I mean, at some point, Paul says, you yourself put away these things. In other words, you can't have the power of the Holy Spirit to put away sin if, if you don't make the choice to put away that sin. And so we have to make choices along the way. So in some respects, we live under the same covenants that Israel lived under. We live under the Deuteronomic covenant. I mean, we live under the Abrahamic covenant because it's a covenant of faith, and by that that's an eternal covenant. It can't be broken. If you're under the uh, Abrahamic covenant and you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, that's a covenant that will never be broken. You're, you're going to make it. But how you make it is determined on how you live this life. What choices you make and how you exercise the powers that you have by making the right choices. And so in one way, it's like the Deuteronomic covenant. Now, we're not under the Deuteronomic covenant, but we are under the covenant that says what you sow is what you reap. And so if you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap the things of the flesh. If you sow to the world, you're going to reap the things of the world. If you sow to corruption, you're going to reap death. I mean, you're going to kill yourself in the process. There is a sin unto death. There are a lot of sins unto death. I believe that's why he didn't name the sin. 
I mean, you could, if we continue in sin, we kill ourselves spiritually and physically. And so in some ways, we're under that same covenant. If, if, if we don't give the Lord his due, just like Israel didn't give, them, give, them, give him his due, if we don't do that, then we're, 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 we're breaking that covenant of what we sow is what we reap. So there is a covenant. There's a responsibility there. And, I, and the difference is here that we have the power they didn't have the power of the Holy Spirit. They weren't sealed with the Holy Spirit. We have the power within us to never break that covenant. But a lot of us break it. I think we break it every day because we choose to live for the world. We choose to live for the flesh. But if we choose to live for the Lord, he gives us the power. To, they didn't have that. I mean, they got sucked into things, and their leaders sucked them into things, and their princes sucked them into things. You, that, can't, that, that shouldn't happen to us. If you got a bad pastor, you don't. But if you had a bad pastor, if you got a bad pastor, get away from him. The Lord will show you that. You know, and so, so we know that, that, that we have the power to, 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 to reap good things in our life, to sow good things in our life. And so we reap good things in our life. And he says in verse number 11, he says, so it was broken on that day. What day is he talking about that the staff was broken? He names a day. He says, that day. Thus the poor of the flock who were watching me knew that it was the word of the Lord. What's the day where God finally broke his covenant of blessing the Jewish people. I'll tell you the day it was. When they betrayed Jesus Christ, they turned him over to the Romans. And when Pilate brought him and stood him before them, he said, who will you have, him or Barabbas? And they all yelled, Barabbas. And they all responded after that, crucify him, crucify him. And on that day, their fate was set. They were going to be judged. That's why Titus came down there in 70 A.D. And that's why when Jesus was walking up that hill and all those women was crying, were crying, he said, don't cry for me. You cry for yourself. Because things are going to be a lot worse for you than they are for me. And so uh, that day is when that covenant was broken. And then verse number 12, he says, watch this. Now, this is, this is fascinating. Then I said to them, if it is agreeable to you, Give me what I'm worth. What am I worth to you? Uh, give me my wages. That's, but that's what he said. What, get, what am I worth to you? And if not, refrain. So they gave him what he was worth to them. You know what he was worth to the Jews? So they weighed out for my wages 30 pieces of silver. Is that not an amazing prophecy right there? An absolutely amazing prophecy. In other words... What did Judas get to betray the Lord? I mean, here's one of Jesus' disciples. What did he get? I mean, when he went to them and he said, look, I, we're, we're gonna, we're, I'm going to turn Jesus over to you. What's he worth to you? Well, he's worth 30 pieces of silver to us. That's a lousy price. I can tell you that right now for the King of kings and the Lord of lords who's worth everything on this earth and in this universe. But he said, 30 pieces of silver. So they weighed out 30 pieces of silver. 
And, 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 you know, it wasn't just Judas. The rest of the Jews. Jesus wasn't worth more than 30 pieces of silver to them. He wasn't worth anything to them. He wasn't worth risking anything that they owned or had in order to give him his due. You know, I wonder how many of us betray the Lord for 30 pieces of silver. You know, I wonder how many times we refuse to neglect some of these small pleasures of life and so that we can indulge our flesh. Or we deny him before men because we don't want to risk our comfort. I mean, when we do that, we're, we're selling him for 30 pieces of silver just like Judas did. And listen, look at, look at the really cool part here in verse number 13. And the Lord said to me, throw it, the 30 pieces of silver, to the potter. Why is he throwing it to the potter? To buy the potter's field. That princely price, and he's being sarcastic there, that princely price that you set on me. I mean, it should have been 30 million pieces of silver to portray the Lord of 30 billion pieces of silver. In fact, there's not enough money in the world that would, should cause any of us to betray the Lord. But that princely price, that 30 pieces of silver, uh, throw it. Watch what he says now in the last part. He says, I took the 30 pieces of silver and I threw it them into the house of the Lord for the potter. Who's the potter? The Lord's the potter. What's the potter's field? The potter's field's where all the broken pieces of pottery went. You remember when Judas realized what he had done, that he had betrayed the Lord of glory. He went back to the Pharisees, their leadership, and he said, hey, I don't want to do, I, I, don't, I don't want this money anymore. I, I shouldn't have done this. And they wouldn't take it because it was blood money. Instead, they took it and they bought the potter's field. And what was the potter's field to be used for? It was to be used for the burial of the poor, those who couldn't afford to, to have themselves buried. And so there's a picture when it says, throw the, the 30 pieces into the house of the Lord for the potter. What was the price that the Lord paid for all of this that was taking place? He gave his life on the cross. And so it's on the cross that this money, that his payment is thrown in the potter's field. We're the potter, we're the broken pottery. We're the ones, the pieces that he picks up and heals. We're the poor who have no place to rest, and he gives us a place to rest. And so we get this great picture here, not only of what happened to the Lord, but what happens to us too. As, he, as the cross became our salvation, as this betrayal became part of our salvation. And then he said, I, in verse number 14, he says, that I cut into my other staff bonds, Bonds, the rod, the discipline. You know, at some point, and that's a scary point if you ever get there, God, if you reject God and reject rod and reject God, God removes his discipline. Every time it gets kind of quiet in the world, it kind of scares me that something big is coming because it's like God's removed his discipline and now we're going to see judgment. You know, and, and, and uh, uh, he says, then I cut my other staff bonds that I might break the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. In other words, what, uh, they're not going to be bonded together. I'm not going to hold them together anymore. They're going to be scattered like sheep without a shepherd. 
Now, here's the sad thing. They rejected the prince of Israel. They rejected the king of kings, the true shepherd, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. But they went after, or they're going to go after in their future, what he calls the foolish shepherd. He said, I broke my staffs. I'm not shepherding you anymore. My staff of beauty and my staff the bonds. And then in verse number 15, and the Lord said to me, next take for yourself, not my implements anymore because I'm not shepherding you anymore. Take for yourself the implements of a foolish shepherd. That's the Antichrist. There's no doubt that's the Antichrist. That was their history. They followed after foolish shepherd. Really, maybe a better translation is there is shepherd, a shepherd for fools. A shepherd for fools. And really, the Antichrist himself, that's who he's going to be. He's going to come as a man of peace. And he's going to be everything everybody ever wanted. They didn't want Jesus Christ. They didn't want God to shepherd them. But they will allow the Antichrist to shepherd them. Listen to the description of this false shepherd in verse number 16. He says, for indeed, I will raise up a shepherd in the land who will not care for those who are cut off, nor seek the young, nor heal those that are broken, nor feed those that still stand. But he will instead, this is what he's really after, he will eat the flesh of the fat and tear their hoofs in pieces. In other words, he is there to destroy them. He's there to destroy Israel. The Antichrist will come as a man of peace and they will embrace him as his great world leader. They'll love him, but he's there to destroy them. His motive won't be to help them. His motive will be to consume them, to destroy them. But God will take care of him in the end. Woe to the worthless shepherd who leaves the flock. A sword will, sword will be against his arm. And you can read about all of this in the book of Daniel. We saw this in the latter part of the book of Daniel as the Antichrist gets his due. But woe to the worthless shepherd who leaves the flock. A sword shall be against his arm and against his right eye. His arm shall be completely withered and his eye shall be totally blinded. So the Antichrist is going to be defeated. You know, when I look at this passage... The really sad thing to me is that Israel isn't the only culprit here. I mean, almost every nation, every person seeks protection and prosperity and satisfaction and comfort and all of those things that we want in life from the wrong people, from the wrong people. The only person who can give us peace and comfort and joy and prosperity, I'm talking about real spiritual prosperity, is the good shepherd. But we have all of these false shepherds in the world and people chase after them. And they make all of these promises about things they're going to do and all they're after is power and all they're, in the end, all they do, they don't, feed people, they consume people. You look at our politicians, you look at the last election, and I remember in the last election, I, I'm, I, well, I'm not going to name names, you can figure it out pretty easily, but I remember a couple of the 
people who were run, running for president said that they were going to make college free for everybody who wanted to go to college. And they were going to wipe out all student loans. Where's his money going to come from to do that? From heaven? No, it's going to come from the people who aren't in college. And so those people are shepherds for fools. I mean, you vote for somebody like that. I, I'm, if you did, I'm sorry, but you, they're shepherds for fools. Because, because there's no free ride. And so, the, yeah, they might get free college, or they might get their student debt wiped out, but then when they get out of college, they're going to be paying for the people who are in college. And people who don't go to college are going to be paying for the people who are in college. And so that's a foolish thing. I mean, we, we, we see it even in the government, we, a conservative government we have now. You know, we're just going to give away money like it's, you know, like it's falling down from heaven. We're going to give these great tax breaks and all of these things. And we, and we, and we already have trillions and trillions of dollars of debt. And, and it's, it's irresponsible and, and it's consuming people. So people, and the purpose in it is so, I'm being really political here now, is, is, is not to feed the people, but to feed their position. And so the, the whole history of the world is, is rejecting the truth, rejecting God, rejecting the true prophets, rejecting the word of God, and going after false prophets and false leaders. It's true in America. It's true in every country in the, in the, in the world. And we pay a price for that. And the ultimate price is coming soon because this world is going to go into the great tribulation and they're going to get the leader they want. I'll tell you, they'll be all over this guy when he comes, just like they were all over the last president we had. They're going to be all, they're going to be all over him. I don't care how antichrist he is. I don't care how much he brings immorality. In, in other words, his promise is going to be, look, you eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow you die, and I'm going to facilitate that for you. And all that's going to do is destroy people. But the good shepherd... The good shepherd doesn't come to destroy. He comes to save. He comes to seek and save those which are lost and to give us a wonderful life, a life of prosperity, maybe a, lots of trials, but a life of spiritual prosperity, a life of joy, a life of peace, and that life will go on forever. And all he was worth to this world was 30 pieces of silver. What's he worth to you? What's he worth to me? I mean, it should be everything. It should be everything we have. We need, to, we need to ponder that. Think about what value we truly give to the Lord. And then set out to give him the value he deserves. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your word. We... Lord, we're so blessed. Grace is a great thing, Lord. You've given us so much grace. You, you're, you're the most valuable being on this earth. You deserve everything we have, Lord. Help us never to sell you short. Help us never to be duped by false shepherds or false leaders. Lord, help us to follow hard after you in all we do. You deserve that, Lord, because you died for us. You shed your blood for us. 
You saved us. You gave us your spirit. You gave us, you give us eternal life. Purpose, joy, peace, prosperity. Real prosperity, Lord. The kind that is meaningful, not just material things, but spiritual things. We thank you so much for that. We thank you in the name of Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray.